Well, this morning we come to the end of this series on grief that we've been talking about for now seven weeks. And we've talked about in this series uh, that grief, <clears throat> that dealing with grief is learning to live with a consistent pattern where we say, I'm going to go to Jesus first. I'm going to stay with Jesus. I'm going to walk with Jesus. And as we listen to him and have a regular relationship with him, we find that when trials come, we're already where we need to be. Second, we talked about the belief that the day is coming, and, and that's the day. The day meaning the day that Christ is going to come back, and he's going to settle all this mess, and he's going to resurrect those who've died in him, and all of us who are alive will join them in the air, and things will be good for eternity. And third, we talked about the ways of the world are not worth us looking at, because sometimes we look around and think, man, they got it better than we do. They've got it easier than we do. Why don't we have what they have? They don't have it better. And we don't need to wrap ourselves forth in the lives of the externals of this world, but rest in the hope that Christ has for us. Then we looked at the the church at Rome about the reality uh, that one day the glory of God is going to be revealed and we're going to experience him face to face. And we talked about dark times and how negativity sinks. And we have a choice in that. Do we sink into the negativity, the the despair, and, and the hopelessness, or do we turn and praise God? And the challenge is that we would praise God. This morning we're going to come to a passage in Isaiah. It's a little short passage. Uh, and uh, what we find is a man who wrote this was living in the, the, the ascendancy of the Assyrian Empire. What was happening is God's people had been living in the promised land for hundreds of years. They haven't been faithful. They haven't been doing the right things. They've been making bad choices. But... God says, I'm still here for you, but there's going to come judgment. And that's where Isaiah steps into the story. And his job is to bring a prophetic message saying, judgment's coming. And you're thinking, well, judgment doesn't sound like much fun to me. It's not. But that's not the whole story. He talks about in this passage, in these chapters, about the grief that he's going to bring because of our struggles that we've chosen, the life that we've chosen, the decisions we've made. But he speaks also of the promised Messiah who's coming. And that's where I want to take our focus this morning, just the three verses, and look at what the promised Messiah does for, our, for us, for us as individuals and us corporately. So look at Isaiah 53. And I want you to notice, if you follow along, uh, there's two words I want you, if you don't mind underlining your Bible, uh, the word, uh, the words our and the words we and the words us. Because there's a lot in here. Here's what the prophet said about the coming Messiah. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him as stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Father, I pray that as we look at this short passage. You would remind us of the amazing work of Jesus in our lives, the offer he has for all of humanity. Father, whether they receive it or not, it stands. But Father, for those of us who do receive your offer, that, Father, we find that you work in our lives in just some amazing ways. And when things get hard, when things get difficult, when grief comes crashing in on us, Father, you're going to be there with us in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, the first thing I want you to see is right there in verse 4. Jesus took our sorrows. The prophet comes with words, with such anticipation, with such hope. But listen, they're not centered on what we do. They're not centered on what we feel. Rather, they're centered on who? On Jesus, on the Messiah. He says, I'm going to take your sorrows. I'm going to take those things unto myself. Notice he doesn't start with your sin, my sin, your guilt, my guilt. He starts instead with uh, his, with our griefs, our sorrows, the things we struggle with. These sorrows and griefs sometimes are the result of, let's just be honest, poor choices we make. We create problems by the things we do. Been there, done that, probably going to be there again, right? We all struggle with this one. It also could be possible because of the sinfulness of the world we live in. You look around at the world we live in, it's a mess, isn't it? Sometimes the things that we struggle with are not necessarily our fault, but we face them because of the world. Also, they may be because of the people who are wicked and evil carrying out bad things in life. We sometimes have to deal with the consequences of those in life. But notice this, the source of the misery and pain is actually immaterial to the Messiah. He doesn't care where they come from. He doesn't care the source of them. He doesn't care the, the way it comes into your life. He doesn't care whether it's your fault, somebody else's fault, or just the way the world is. He says, I'm here, and I'm going to bear your griefs. I'm going to carry your sorrows. I don't know about you. I find hope in that, that our promised Messiah is going to carry those griefs, carry those sorrows. And the word he uses here is kind of a powerful word in Old Testament imagery. He talks about lifting those. Uh, if you think back to the Old Testament and the way that, that once a year the, the high priest would uh, uh, place on a, a sacrificial lamb the blood uh, of the sins of all people. And we don't do it that way anymore, but this was an Old Testament image. And the image he talks about here, the word he uses here is actually the idea of to lift it up and to carry it away. Because what they would do is they'd put that, that sacrifice on that lamb and then they would shoo him out into the wilderness and he'd be gone and the sin would go with him, symbolically speaking. That's the idea that Jesus is going to do for us, Messiah is going to do for us. He's going to take our sorrows. He's going to take our griefs on himself. It's the word used to carry those sins away. And what Jesus is going to do is be the one who lifts the burden of sadness and depression in our lives just because of our sin and because of the stuff we deal with in the world. And what is promised here is Jesus will take our infirmities, our sorrows. You know, that includes a lot of stuff. Things like division in families. He said, I'll take that on me. Death of a loved one. Grief. I'll take that on me. Pain of past choices. You have to, any of you find yourself struggling with the things you've done in the past and you go, man, he'll take those too. He says, I'm going to take all those sorrows. See, our God is not off in some mysterious realm where we don't know what he's doing. He's not some strange and unusual entity that can't experience. Instead, he is near our situation. He is going to, as the prophet says, going to enter the world. We know he entered the world years ago and is part of that. And the only way we can really view him is this, as one who's been stricken, been smitten by God, been afflicted. And God is not deaf to our condition. He hears us. He says, I love you. He took upon us himself the griefs of the world. Second, he took our shame. Shame. And that's just a fun word. Not so much, is it? We make mistakes. We make foolish choices. We get caught doing things we shouldn't be doing. What do we find? Shame arrives. Look at verse 5. But he, the Messiah, was pierced for our 
transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds were healed. So some 700 years or so before Jesus Messiah was born, the prophet Isaiah looked down into history and said, there's coming one who's going to take these sorrows for us and these shame for us. He's going to carry this stuff for us, and he's going to be pierced for our transgression. Now notice the four things that would happen to him. They're right there in the verse. He would be pierced. You remember when Jesus was on the cross, they pierced him with a sword and water and blood flowed. He was crushed. His body was literally broken, beaten, abused for us. He carries the chastisement for us. I think that talks about the whipping that he took with the cat of nine tails that in, in, at the pavement in Jerusalem. He would be wounded as his body was cut, bruised, his skin was cut away. When you stop to think about the things that Jesus Messiah did on your behalf, on my behalf, we, we should be mortified. We should be terrified. We should be furious that he had to do that for us. And yet he did it gladly. Unto himself, he took some of the worst acts of abuse, some of the worst acts of torture of his day. He was subjected to pain and grief. Normal humans don't fall under, and we would fail under if we did. And he did it for who? For us. Think about the last 14 hours or so of Jesus' life. Here's what happened to him. He was slapped around. He was pushed around. He was mocked. He was crowned with sharp thorns. He was beaten with a bit, a whip containing bits of bone and metal. His beard was ripped out. He was beaten again. He was forced to carry his own cross. He had nails driven through his hands and feet, and he was crucified. Now, a casual observer would look at that and go, man, he failed. He didn't win. He lost. Y'all with me? But we know what he did was win. He won for us on the cross. He, he, he allowed himself to be crucified to provide for us the way for our shame to be taken away, for our guilt to be removed. And he did it, taking on our punishment. He did it on the cross. And what he did on the cross was a mortification, purchasing for you and me two things. They're right here in the verse. He buys us what? Peace. You like peace? No, I like war, don't you? I like conflict, don't you? I like battles, don't you? I love the tension, don't you? Yeah, right. None of us likes that stuff, right? We love the concept of peace. Where do we get that? From our Savior Jesus Christ, the Messiah that was promised. And with His chastisement, He brought us peace. We don't have to live at war anymore. We don't have to live in conflict anymore. When we stand, so when trials and grief come crashing on us, we can stand with confidence our Messiah is with us. The other is He would heal us. Oh, we could spend an hour here, couldn't we? Now we can talk about physical healing. Does God still feel, uh, physically heal? Absolutely. Does He always do it? No. But when we focus just on physical healing, we're, we're really focusing too much on one aspect of his healing. His healing's bigger than that. His healing's broader than that. There's something much greater than that here. We, we are going to be in him. We are healed of the guilt of the moment. He takes it away. Now, we're, we're kind of boneheaded sometimes. We run back over and grab it back and say, I want to carry that some more. But if we give it to him, he'll keep it. He'll take it. We're healed from doubts. We don't have to worry about our doubts in life. He's going to take care of us. We go, I don't know. He does. We're going to be healed of our shame. We stand in the presence of a holy God 
transformed by not us and our goodness, but His presence within us. And the act of Jesus on the cross was not a failure, but a great work of healing. And then He takes... He took our status. Look at verse 6 one more time. This is a verse I memorized many, many years ago as part of a, a witnessing program. And I always wondered why they, they included this one because it's kind of an oddball passage in the Old Testament. But many have called this the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Look at it with that in mind. And we, who? We. Who's we? We all we, okay? Y'all with me? We're all we. We, like sheep, are knuckleheads. We've gone astray. We go off down the road on our own. We go down trails that end up in, in chasms. We go down directions that make us a mess. We, like sheep, have gone astray. You say, I don't go, I haven't gone astray. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. No, you've gone astray. That's what the Bible tells us. We have turned. How many of us? Some of us. A few of us. No, every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has done something for us. What did he do? Laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the verse begins and ends with the same word. Did you notice that in the English translation? It's not an accident, by the way. It's the same in the Hebrew. All. Every single one of us. All of us. It's the verse many have called John 3.16 of the Old Testament. It makes salvation clear to us. The ugly reality is this. You and I have all, all sinned. All of us have gone astray. Our sin messes up our thinking. Our sin messes up our physical condition. Our sin messes up our lives. And in a real sense, without God, we're living with no hope and nothing we can do on our own. You know what? That's not a popular thought today. Most people today think, well, I'm pretty good. I'm way better than he is. I'm way better than she is. Why do we love to compare ourselves to the messes in the world instead of to the holy God who created us? We like to think we're strong enough, smart enough. We can figure it out on our own. But you know what? I'm here to tell you, you can't. I can't. We can't. Thankfully, the Lord made it possible for us the way out of grief and struggles and trial and pain. Our sin, our rebellion had earned us a one-way trip away from God for eternity in a real and literal place called hell. We were on the fast track away until what? Messiah Jesus took our place. The Lord laid on him... Y'all with me? The Lord laid on him the what? The iniquity. Make that real personal. The Lord has laid on him my sin, my iniquity. Oh, if that doesn't shake your soul, something's wrong with your soul. He did that for us. That's the heart of the good news in the Bible, my friends. The good news is this, not you have to go to hell because you're just an awful person. The good news is that you don't have to because he has laid on his son, Jesus, our iniquity. We have to do something to get it, but he's already made it possible. So when we have trials and struggles and grief, these are laid on Jesus. We don't have to carry the weight. When things get difficult, we don't have to carry the weight. When things get hard, we don't have to carry the weight. He's got it. And in Christ, we have forgiveness of sin and freedom from the weight. So, so what does this mean for us? Three quick things. Number one, Christ carries our pain. You know, I'm going to carry it myself. Why? Why? 
Why do we want to do it ourselves? Why do we want to take on our when He's there waiting to receive unto Himself and has already for our sin received our pain? This has a lot of applications in light of grief, but the most basic of these is this. You don't have to carry your burdens alone. Oh, I can handle it. No, you can't. No, I can't. I can't handle it. When trials and struggles and grief come into the lives of those who follow Jesus, we do not have to handle it alone. We don't have to figure it out on our own. We don't have to try to work harder or smarter or find a way to get through what's coming in. I'm going to just have to be a little more serious about my faith. I'm going to go a little more action. I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to do that. No, just let him have it. He's already got it. He wants to carry it for you. We have the one who promises to carry our pain for us. And we follow the one who takes on himself our grief and our sorrow. I don't know about you, but that's such a freeing reality. I don't have to carry it. I don't have to carry it. Now, does that mean the pain's going to go away? No. Does that mean the struggle's going to go away? Probably not. But I don't have to carry it anymore because he's got it. He's got it. And we access this carrying offer by where we live, by where we dwell. And I'm not talking about your house and your street address. I'm talking about your life. We can dwell in the place of our choosing, the pathway of our choosing, in an abode we build. And while God gives us the freedom to choose, there's got to be a better way. Listen to what Psalm 91 says. Whoever dwells, dwells. I love that word. Whoever dwells, whoever hangs out, whoever whoever. Uh, Shelter, it lives in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Stop and think about that verse just a second. Do you dwell in the shelter of the Most High? Do you let your life be under His covering? Do you let His shadow fall on you whenever you're moving in life? His call is for those of us who follow God to dwell in His shelter, to rest in His shadow, to just get so close to Him that He's right there with us and that He carries our struggles, He carries our pain, He carries our lives. This simply means getting close enough to God that there's an impact, to be so close that we dwell in the palm of God's hand. It's a choice we make. You say, well, I'm going to run my own show. Good luck. Because you're going to need luck to make that work. I don't need luck to make life work. I just need Jesus. And to get close to Him and to dwell in the shelter of of the Most High, to rest in the shadow of the Almighty, to hang out with God, to walk with Him, to talk with Him, to listen to His voice. We say, well, I don't ever hear His voice. There's ways to do that. We need to be doing. Second, Christ took our place. I want to remind you of that truth. Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, Christ is a synonym for Messiah. The Messiah, he, he, he took our place. You're going, what do you mean? You and I earned death because of our sin. We earned it. There's a, there's a principle in the scriptures we sometimes forget in modern thinking. It's the idea of sowing and reaping. Every single one of us has sown sin and will, without significant intervention, reap the consequences of that sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin puts us in a mess. Sin puts us in problems. Sin puts us in a way we can't handle it anymore. Our sin, in fact, the scriptures tell us, had cut us off from God, leaving us alone. You're going, what? You mean God left me? Oh, no. Your sin caused you to be broken off from God. My sin breaks me off from God. It's not his fault you're not near God. It's his fault, your fault. 
My fault. But God made not a way, but the way in the Messiah. Is what Isaiah is telling him. He's coming. The way for us to be forgiven for sure. But he will give the ability not only to, to be forgiven, but to handle the ugliness of life and the struggles we face in grief. He did this by providing this, and here's a big word for you, substitutionary atonement for our sin. He took our place. Listen to what Romans 5, 8 says. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, some of us hear that and we go, well, he didn't have to die for me. I wasn't that bad. Really? I didn't need that. I'm, I'm good. Really? I'm not. See, when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God made the way for us to experience new life and forgiveness. That means we don't have to carry the burdens. We don't have to carry the weight. We don't have to carry the trash, all the grief that we have. And we can lean on him to carry us through whatever's coming. He says, I'm here for you. Christ died for me. And we don't have to pay the price any longer. And then the third thing he does is he offers us peace. There's an amazing truth I want you to see in this. Christ offers us peace. You know, the reality, and we've talked about this for seven weeks now, the reality is every single, every, 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 Every single one of us is going to face grief at some point. You say, well, I haven't had to yet. You're, you're blessed. But it's coming. It's coming. It, it, grief is inevitable as breathing. But for those of us who follow the Lord Jesus, our promised Messiah, talked about by Isaiah, we will have to go through those seasons, but we can go through those seasons with grace and with peace and with his presence. Jesus told himself this, peace I leave with you. Peace, Jesus said, I leave with you. My peace I give to who? To me, to you, he said. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He says, I'm with you. I want to give you this peace. So when the trials of life come like this raging storm, when the weight of the moment seems to crush us, when we are on the verge of being overwhelmed, let me remind you that God's peace, if you know him, is present. It is not absent. It is not looking, not to be looked for. It's right here already. And he promises to give us peace. And it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Philippians 4, 7 says this. And just listen. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm here for you. The way we get through grief, listen, is resting in the peace of God with our entire hearts. But it's not automatic. You don't already have it. You go, well, I was born with that peace. No, you weren't. I wasn't. There comes a place where we have to trust him. We have to give our hearts to him and to trust him for our salvation. So as we wrap up this series, I want to give you an offer this morning. You say, well, I'm, I'm good. I'm a good person. I'm a good guy. I'm a good lady. You could be great with his peace in your life, his presence in your life. Have you come to the place in your life where you've trusted him? You say, well, how do I do that? 
It's this simple. You say, Jesus, I know without you I'm a sinner and a mess. I was born with a propensity, with a tendency, with a a bent, if you will, to sin. But I don't want to live that way anymore. I want your peace. His peace is this easy to get. You say, Jesus, I'm a mess. I need you. Will you come into my life? If you'll make that as a commitment in prayer to the Lord, he'll give it to you. He'll give you freedom. And make it where when grief comes, when trials come, when struggles come, when hardship comes, he says, I'm already here with you. Let's go. Let's take care of it. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come into your house. We pray your blessings on this morning as we have come together to worship. Our prayer, God, is that you would show us our need. Father, for many of us, it's not that we need to be saved. It's because we know we have that relationship. We remember that commitment and we're growing in that. Father, for those of us like that, sometimes it's not a, I need you to save me, but it's a this, I need you to, I need to recommit my life to you and let you lead me. I want you to dwell within me fuller, greater, broader, deeper. But Father, I believe there are some that need to make that initial commitment to you. They need to say, Jesus, I want to trust you with my whole life. Father, I pray that they would just cry out even right now and say, God, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Set me free. And Father, we pray right now for this time of invitation as we respond to you. We pray that your spirit would move in this moment according to your will and your time. In Jesus' name.